Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. Good morning, everybody. Hey, if you've got your Bibles there, you might want to open them up to Jeremiah chapter 29, 1 to 13. Jeremiah chapter 29, 1 to 13. And I'm going to actually read um, a little bit of that first and then I'm going to talk about it. So follow along if you want. And it starts like this, a letter to the exiles. And in verse 1, it says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now I'm going to skip down to verse 4 here. We just don't need to worry about that other detail. This is what, this is the contents of the letter. This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, don't let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I've not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So just let me give you a little bit of context around this. The southern kingdom of, of Judea, Um, was the last kind of remaining bastion of God's people. The northern kingdom had been carried off into exile a couple of hundred years before. And now these guys were the last kind of true, faithful Israelites. But they had not been living the way God wanted them to live. And God had been warning them for some time, if you don't change your ways, if you don't start doing what I've asked you to do and live the way I've told you to live, I'm going to bring judgment on you guys. I'm going to bring the Babylonians in and they're going to take you away. And they didn't listen, they didn't change, and consequently they were taken away in to exile. And so they, there they are, the people of God in exile, their lives completely uprooted and disrupted and completely dislocated from the environment and life they had known. And sometimes I think that can happen to us. We can find ourselves in a kind of exile. Dis- our lives get disrupted, we get uprooted and we get dislocated from the life that we have known or the life that, I guess, we had planned or hoped that we would always have. When I was in the army, whenever we found ourselves in a place we uh, were not supposed to be, we were not allowed to say that we got lost. We were geographically dislocated. <laughs> and I guess in life, if you want to use a euphemism, if things aren't going well for you, if you find yourself in a place you never expected or planned or hoped to be, 
You can say you were existentially dislocated. So when people say to you, how are you going? Oh, I'm just existentially dislocated. That's either going to shut the conversation down immediately or you're going to end up having a really deep and meaningful conversation with someone when they say, what on earth does that mean? Not that they're interested, they were just making small talk. <laughs> Maybe we get thrown into stuff that we didn't expect. Maybe we make choices that lead us places that we don't want to go. Maybe other people make choices that mean we end up where we didn't plan to end up. Maybe sometimes the earth moves from underneath us, the world around us shifts, and we find ourselves dislocated through, through, through factors not of our own doing or decision. And that can be a very disorienting and frightening, frightening thing to go through. And our reflexive instinct is to immediately resist and reject that and try and get back to where we wanted to be. But sometimes that doesn't happen easily, sometimes that doesn't happen quickly. And to be honest, sometimes that doesn't even happen at all. Sometimes there's no going back to where you just left. So what do we do? Well, what I want us to see in this text and for us to get this morning is that when you find yourself in this exile, when you find your life disrupted, when you find yourself dislocated from the life you thought you had, you find yourself in a place you never thought you would be, it may not be the life you've chosen, but I want you to understand that there is still a life to be had. It may not be the life you've hoped for, it may not be the life that you prayed for, it may not be a life that you planned for, but there is still a life to be had. And just because God may not necessarily be behind it doesn't mean that God isn't in it. So there is a life to be had, but it's if. If, it's a big if. If we choose to make one. So how do we end up in these places sometimes? Well, that's a bit of a big question. And it depends on how you see things. For some people, for those people who believe in God, some people think that everything that happens is at the instigation of God. That God's sovereignty is so total and comprehensive that nothing happens that God is not behind. So, for example, the fact that you're here this morning, God meant you to be here. That outfit you're wearing, God chose that for you. Now, some of you might want to quibble with these choices, but cancer, well, that's God. You win the lotto, arguably, does God gamble? But that's God. Tsunami, that's God. You understand what I'm saying? There is nothing that happens for some people in their worldview that does not have the direct instigation and activity of God. Now, I personally feel that that approach, that belief, actually raises more questions and causes more problems than it actually solves. I think it paints a picture of God that is not reconcilable with the one I see in Scripture and definitely not the one I see revealed in Jesus. Another way that we can look at this is that it's all down to us. That God is either unable or unwilling to be involved in our lives. And therefore, everything that happens is a result of our choices. I don't buy into that either because I actually believe that God is very active in the world. He's very active in our lives. That he leads and he guides and he intervenes. So where does that leave us? Well, I think it leaves us with a third option. That, that both of these things are kind of true in some way. That they, you have to hold them in some sort of tension, that, that there is a sense in which God is actually behind things and involved in things, and there's a sense in which our choices really do matter as well. It's a combo, like you get at KFC, right? 
I like the combo options, you know. You get a bit of this and you get a bit of that. Now, what I would say with this is that irrespective of which view you hold, we want to do it lightly. We want to hold them lightly and we want to hold them humbly. Now, obviously, it's not an issue I can cover off on today and I've certainly no intention of trying to get to the bottom of that one today. That's not the point of this. But it was just by way of saying, how do we find ourselves in this situation? Well, sometimes, sometimes God is in it and sometimes it's just our choice. Sometimes stuff just happens. Sometimes it's our choices. Sometimes it's other people's choices. Sometimes there's no way of knowing this. We just find ourselves there anyway. Now, these guys found themselves in exile for a very specific reason. And it's said more than once in this text. God says to them through the prophet Jeremiah, to the exile or to the place where I have sent you. They've not ended up there through any other reason than God himself was behind putting themselves in this place. But having said that, it was kind of their choice as well. In the sense that it was the consequences of their choices that caused God to decide to move them into exile. Right from the beginning, Israel was always given this choice, right? Was always given this choice. Today I put before you a choice between life and death, between blessing and curse. And if you choose my way, if you choose the right way, life and blessing, and do what I've asked you to do, things are going to go well with you. If you take the other option, things are not going to go well with you. And these guys continually and consistently made poor choices. And so in the 700s, the Assyrians came and they took the northern kingdom away. And then the southern kingdom was left. But then they kept making bad choices as well. And they were invaded by the Babylonians. So rather than just let them continue to make bad choices, God intervenes and says, I'm going to bring you guys into some correction. It's not punishment. I was listening to something the other day, and, I, and this guy said something which really grabbed my attention, something I'd never really thought about before. But he was talking about hell, and you know, it was a really happy podcast, right? And he said, if you think about it logically, punishment is a failure of correction. And I went, does that sound deep to you? Because it sounded really deep to me. Because the point being that, that and, and God never punishes, God always corrects. See, when someone stops doing a bad thing and they make better choices, you've solved that problem. Punishment is just a punitive thing. It's just about making someone pay for the, the mistake that they've made. It has no redemptive value. And so when God intervenes in this situation after years and years of warning them make better choices make better choices make better choices and they refuse to listen he says then I'm going to bring you to a place that's going to make you reconsider how you live not as a punishment but as a way of bringing correction to you because my plans for you still hold I still want this for you but that's got to be something that comes from in here not something I'm coercing you to do so I'm going to take you into a place of exile and a place of, of um dislocation where you're going to hopefully rethink things relearn things and come back to me with a fresh heart you with me okay so God intervenes and does this so sometimes our lives are disrupted and dislocated and we find ourselves in these strange and unfriendly environments so when you find yourself dislocated and you find yourself in a place you never expected to be what is it that you want to hear well what you want to hear is that it's all going to be over soon isn't it when you find yourself in these places you don't plan to be in, you really don't want to be there. You think, how on earth did my life get to this point? You want the news to come along that says, don't worry, God's going to turn all of this around and you're going to be out of here really, really soon. But that is not what they hear. Jeremiah is not the bearer of good news. 
when they finally hear that they're getting a letter from Jeremiah, everyone's probably going, woo, finally, here we are in Babylon, we're exiled, things are not going well, got a letter from Jeremiah, Whew, we're going to find out how long this is going to be, we're going to be over. But they get bad news. The bad news is this, you're not getting out of here anytime soon. Plant gardens, get married, let your kids get married, have grandkids. Hang on, this is really like, this sounds like we're going to be here for a long time. Yes, you are going to be here for a long time. Now that may not be the news that people want to hear, but it's the news people need to hear. It's not the good news they want, but it's the truth. It's good counsel. It's solid counsel. And it's the truth they need to hear so they don't get false hope. And they don't waste their time standing around in expectation of something that is not going to happen anytime soon. So what do you do when someone tells you what you don't want to hear? It's easy. You find someone who will. Yeah? And this is exactly what they did. The people who were left behind in Jerusalem and the exiles themselves over in Babylon, they found for themselves prophets who were willing to fill that gap in the market. People who were willing to step up and go, oh, 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 oh I've heard from God. And God says, uh, this is all an anomaly. Um, he's very sorry that it's gone this way. Don't worry, it's all going to be over soon. You haven't done anything wrong. Just relax. They, they found multiple prophets who were saying that. Multiple prophets who were saying that. And poor old Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the one who's actually telling them what God is saying to them in this situation. These guys who are lying, tickling people's ears, telling them what they want to hear, they're the popular ones. Everyone loves these guys. Jeremiah, who tells them the truth, they hate him. And in fact, if you look at the story of Jeremiah and you look at his ministry overall, this was, this was his thing. He was always telling people what they didn't want to hear, not because it was something he wanted to do, but he, he was being true to what God told him to tell the people. And as he did that, they were throwing him down holes in the ground and trying to leave him there to die. And meanwhile, everyone else was saying, yeah, he's, he's full of rubbish. Listen to us. It's all good. God loves you. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to be blessed. Don't worry about it. But God, in, God, through his word, through Jeremiah, actually says to them, look, I'm taking a really dim view of people who are simply telling you what you want to hear. And it's not going to end well for them. And I'm not going to go into the details about that. And here's the thing I want us to understand in that. We find ourselves in these places where we don't want to be, when things are not going well, when life seems a bit discombobulated and we're dislocated. The best indicator of whether or not something is true is not how we feel about it or whether we like what we're hearing. You with me? The best indicator of truth in any situation, actually, it's not how it makes us feel and not whether or not it's something we want to hear. Because sometimes lies are very easy to hear and truth is very hard to hear, yeah? And I mean, the, the Bible actually talks about this type of stuff. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy will multiply kisses. That's what the Bible says. Sometimes people who love you will tell you hard things. But they will tell you hard things because they love you. They will tell you the truth. It may not be the message you want to hear. They may know it's not the message you want to hear, but it's the truth. And they tell you the truth because they love you. 
People who do not love you will simply tell you what you want to hear at the benign end because they want to avoid upsetting you, but at the more malignant end because they just want to tell you what you want to hear. People who love you tell you what you want to hear. The best indicator of whether something is true or not is not how it makes us feel or how we've, or whether or not we want to hear that sort of thing. Who is serving you better? So when I say to Heather, do I look good in these Speedos? It's not what I want to hear. But she's being kind to everyone. <laughs> she's being kind to everyone. Friends, true friends will tell you what you want to hear. Uh, to not tell you what you want to hear, they'll tell you what you need to hear. So here's a freebie for today, right? Here's a freebie. This is just this is an extra bonus thing for turning up, right? If, <laughs> don't get too excited. Uh, um, if your current circle of friends or counsel does not consist of people who occasionally tell you things you don't want to hear, you might want to reconsider your circle of friends and counsel. Okay? True. That doesn't mean you go and find people who are just mean to you all the time. All right? You don't want to go to the other extreme. But in any good relationship, in any true solid, loving, faithful relationships, there will, be, there will be times where people will say things and it will cut and it will be hard to listen to. But they're doing it because they love you, because they're your friends, okay? So if your current circle of influence does not include people who occasionally tell you things that are hard to hear, if your circle of counsel isn't telling you things that are occasionally hard to hear, rethink your circle of counsel and those friendships. You might need to move them into other spaces. So these prophets were not serving the people well by telling them what they wanted to hear, whereas Jeremiah was getting beaten up for telling them what they needed to hear. And there was a good reason behind why Jeremiah was telling them what they didn't want to hear. A, it was the truth, but secondly, because sometimes we find ourselves rejecting or resisting or fighting something we actually need to be leaning into. Jeremiah told them that this dislocation, he actually says, it's going to last 70 years. 70 years. And their instinctive response to that was, I rebuke that, I reject it, that is not of God. Well, rebuke it, reject it, disavow it all you like, you're here for 70 years. Whether you accept this message, it doesn't matter. This is where you are and this is where you are going to stay. And there's a lot of frustration and disappointment if you don't believe that. If you always think that there is a breakthrough just around the corner, or you're going to get up tomorrow and things are going to suddenly be different, that is going to be a long time of having your hopes dashed. That's going to be a lot of disappointment and frustration in your life. It's a long time to be fighting against something that isn't going to change. It's going to be a long time sitting with your bags packed and all your stuff in boxes ready to go because it isn't going to happen anytime soon. I used to have this bad habit that if I knew I was going out at night to a meeting or something, I would eat dinner, but then I would just stand in the lounge room. And Heather would say, sit down. You're not going for another half an hour. And I'd be like, but I'm going. And I couldn't relax. It's kind of like that. 
It's kind of like these prophets were telling people what they wanted to hear and what they wanted to hear was don't get comfy. Stand there waiting because your deliverance is coming at any moment. And Jeremiah was saying exactly the opposite. This is 70 years. Plant yourself some gardens. Get yourselves married. Make a life for yourself now because it's going to be a long time waiting. So just get on with your life. Again, this is not the life that you want, guys, but this is the life that you have. And there is a life to be had if you will simply settle into it. That's why he says that. See, one of the biggest issues we face when we find ourselves um, in a place where we don't want to be is that we could actually miss the potential of the blessing of where we are. If we're always looking, you know, always looking over the horizon, always waiting for when this change is going to come, we're actually not going to see the potential blessing that might exist where we are. And there were blessings to be had. I mean, this is what I love about the simple, profoundly organic um, counsel that uh, Jeremiah gives to these people. He says to them, plant a garden. Make relationships. Get married. Do all the things you would do if you were still back in Jerusalem, if you were still home, because this is your home. For now, but it is still your home. And I think that's a great message for all of us when we find ourselves in places we don't want to be. We don't know how long it's going to take. And it's a long time to be standing up waiting for a change. It's a long time to be constantly waiting for for some news to come in over the horizon to say that this is all going to change and it's all going to change quickly. It's a long time to put your life on hold. Jeremiah would say to us, you may not be where you want to be, but It may not be the life that you want, but there is a life to be had if you will actually choose it. It looks different for all of us, but it's there. It's about accepting this is where I am for now. Now, some people really struggle with that. They struggle with the idea of accepting something that is any less than the ideal plan that they had for their life. They see it as as unacceptable because they see it as surrendering or acquiescing in plans other than God's. And somehow that we're settling for something that the enemy might want to be doing to us. And it's anyone else that, that this acceptance is actually a surrender in some way. And they what they do is they go through the rest of this verse and they come across the most cherry picked passage of scripture in the whole Bible. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And they go, see, this was not the plan that I had for my life. This place I find myself in now, this was not the plan I had for my life. Look at God promises. He says, I know know the plans I have for you to give you a hope and a future and to prosper you. See, so that's the plan. That's the plan there. Not this thing that I'm actually in at the moment. So can I just, again, do another freebie for today? You get two bonuses for turning up today, okay? Sidebar on this. As I said, this is one of the most cherry-picked verses in the Bible, right? And it's not that it's not true. It's not that God doesn't love us and have good plans for us. It's not, it's not that it's not true in a general sense. But it's kind of like Paul was saying today, you know? It has a context. There's a context to all of this that we can't ignore. It's not some sort of thing that we can just 
pull out when people are going through a tough life and hand to them and say, here, take this three times a day, like we do with, with Panadol when we get a headache, right? So your life's not going well? Here, have a Jeremiah 29 11, all right? Thank goodness for that. It doesn't work like that, okay? A, it was written to a people, not to a person, right? This is everything to do with God's plans for Israel, for their purposes, which are his purposes for the world, right? So it's a collective promise. Secondly, the context is they have found themselves in exile. Jeremiah is telling them that it's going to be a long time, but they have found people who are telling them other things, the opposite of that, and saying, it's okay, it's going to be a short time. And God busts in and says, hang on a second. I know the plans I have for you, right? So I realise these other people are telling you a different story, but I'm telling you the plans I have for you. It is ultimately to give you a hope and a future and then it is to prosper you. There's no doubt about that. But right now, this is part of the process. This part of the process where you find yourself in exile, this is part of the plan. It's part of the plan because it's not just you being back in Jerusalem. It's about the type of people you are when you're back in Jerusalem. Are you with me? So it's not just that you get back home and get on with business as usual, because that got you in trouble. That's why you're here now. This, it may not be, have been your plan. This may not have been where you thought things were going. It's certainly not where I wanted it to go for you. I gave you a choice. You made the wrong choice. So here we are. So this is part of the plan I have for you. Part of this plan is that you will experience correction and restoration through this, and then we can get things back on track. So this process, this hiccup, this place you find yourself in that you didn't think that you were ever going to be in, it is part of my plans for you to prosper you. Okay? Are you with me on that? It's a step, not a destination. I've not brought you here to leave you here. It's a step, but it's still part of the process. It is still part of the plan. Being present and making a life in exile, in dislocation, is not an admission that you are going to stay there forever. It's just accepting that that's where you are for now. You with me? It's not an admission that this is my forever life. It is just an acceptance that this is where I am for now. Now, sometimes there could be some really good reasons behind that that we need to discern. You know? Sometimes we have found ourselves in here and we need to understand why we have found ourselves in this place. It was, this was the case with these guys. The reason you're in exile is that you mucked up and God has brought you here and there are things to be learned and things to be changed and things to be restored in you. But other times, there is no overarching purpose. It just is. You find yourself in a place just because you're there. Your choice has brought you there other people's choices brought you there. The world turned and you found yourself there. But there is no sort of overarching driving purpose in this. And one of the things that we can really get bogged down on when we go through this stuff is that we often go try and find a purpose in our circumstances. Well, sometimes there is no purpose to be found. It just is. But that doesn't mean that we can't make a purpose out of it. It's like people say, if you can't find a purpose, forge one. Make one, because wherever you go, there you are, and that's where you are, and you need to accept where you are, and you need to make the most of where you are, because there is the possibility and potential of blessing, even in that place, that it is not where you thought you would be, but there's still life to be had in it. So even though there's not some, God has not brought you there, 
Okay? And he's not trying to teach you something through all of this. It just is. It's just the way things have happened for you. You can still make a purpose out of that. And you can even make a difference. He goes on to say, Seek the prosperity of the city to which I have sent you. Pray for its peace. Pray for its prosperity. Because in its prosperity is your own. And that's kind of saying something, given that these were the people that overran Jerusalem, destroyed it, um, ransacked the city, destroyed their temple, and then basically kidnapped them and took them back to their capital city in Babylon. And God says to them, well, while you're there, pray for the peace of this place and pray for its prosperity because your own peace and prosperity are now inextricably linked to it. Pray for it. You think, really? I seek the prosperity of this place? I guess the big question that comes up when we find ourselves in these positions, when we find ourselves in places we didn't expect to be, and I would add, don't really want to be, the question we need to ask ourselves is, is this place going to colour me or am I going to colour it? Am I, am I powerless in this situation or do I have some agency. I love Psalm 84. It talks about how blessed people are whose heart is set on God. And it says, blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Because as they pass through the valley of Bacar, which is the valley of dry places, they make it a place of springs. The idea being... These people change their environment, not the environment change them. Their heart is set on God, and as they go through what is literally and metaphorically dry places, they transform, they transform it. It does not transform them. There's this great story, in, great episode in Philippians, you know, with Paul, I mean, and Paul was talking about that this morning, and the Apostle Paul is, is writing that letter from prison. He's writing it from a dungeon. Yet it's one of the happiest books in the Bible, one of the most hope-filled books in the Bible. But Paul says right in the beginning, in, in chapter 1, you know, like, I always wanted to come to Rome. That was always my plan. But he wanted to go there as a free man. He ends up there as a prisoner, not just a prisoner, a dungeon, uh, 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 locked in a dungeon, chained in a dungeon, in Caesar's palace. Right? So he's in Caesar's palace with a Praetorian guard around him. Now, he could very easily go, this was not what I had in mind. My plans have been thwarted. This is all over. But he doesn't. He flips it and he says, terrific. This palace and this prison is now going to become my pulpit. I'm now going to get an opportunity to talk to a whole bunch of people at the heart of the Roman Empire about Jesus. An opportunity he never would have had had he not ended up in that place. So the question we ask ourselves is, is it going to colour me or am I going to colour it? Am I powerless? Do I have some agency? Do I waste this time, again, waiting for it to be over? Or do I get on and make a life? And beyond making a life, do I actually seek to do some good where I find myself? Yeah? I've told you that, you know, like when we got out of ministry, Heather and I went and did whatever jobs we could find. And initially for me, that was really liberating. I didn't have responsibility for anything anymore I mean it was exhilarating um, 
It was exhilarating to just not have responsibility. So I didn't, I didn't care what I was doing because it just, I was not doing this thing, right? But after a while, in the second year, I started to kind of regret that, okay? That I started to think, I really wouldn't mind doing something a little more constructive with my life. And I was working in a, a warehouse, a book warehouse at, at that stage. And when I got there, they, I was a temp and they hated me. Like, they hated me. They didn't want to talk to me. I wasn't allowed to sit with them at morning tea. And, and in one sense, I was like, thank you, God, because I'm an introvert, right? And so I went and just sat in this room by myself, and I was in absolute heaven. I was like, oh, this is the best. And, uh, and then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to keep my head down, do what I need to do. So you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Then I started to think, you know what? Here I am. I could sit here wishing I wasn't here. I could sit here wishing that I hadn't made these choices. I could sit here wishing that things were different. But the fact is, here I am, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. So you know what? I may as well make something of it. So I started offering my suggestions about how the, how the warehouse could work better. Because you want someone who's new doing that, don't you? You know. <laughs> um, anyway, turns out my ideas were actually good ideas. I mean, you, you, you don't, you're not a senior pastor for 15 years and you don't learn something about organisation and leadership, right? But I didn't tell anyone I was a pastor either. I kept that absolutely locked down. No one knew about that. Well, anyway, after a while, I, people started to like what I was doing. They actually started to like me. And they, then it got out. Someone said to me, oh, what did you do before this? You know, like, seriously. And I said, oh, I was a pastor. What? Well, I kid you not. From that point on, I never got my lunchroom by myself again. People would come and knock at the door. Can I talk to you about something? <laughs> Just want to eat my lunch. It, it, they started calling me Rev. I became the in-house chaplain. And when it came time to leave, they were genuinely sad. And my manager said to me, mate, if, I know this is probably no good to you, but here's a reference. And if you ever want a job anywhere doing anything, let me know. And I'm like, I may need that. Um, but I tell you that not because of, look how fantastic I am. And... I am, but, <laughs> but because of, I, remember, I, I remember the point at which sitting there thinking to myself, I wish I wasn't here. I, I don't want to be in this place. I don't want to do this. I, I, but I was there and I didn't know how long I was going to be there. So I had to make a choice to make it count. I had to make a life for myself. And beyond making a life for myself, I had to seek the prosperity of the place because my own prosperity was literally tied to that. If that thing didn't do well, I wasn't going to have a job. And I guess in some senses too, this seeking the prosperity, the place I have carried you because you will prosper too, I guess there's this whole biblical psychological truth that comes into play too, that our own well-being is served best by serving others. Because, you know, when you find yourself in places you don't want to be, especially bad places you don't want to be, it's really easy to get trapped in your own head, isn't it? It's really easy to get trapped in your own head and you're your own thoughts and that can spiral pretty quickly and then you see the wisdom 
in what the Bible says about he who refreshes others is himself refreshed and it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is a truth to that. It's, it's counterintuitive. It's not the sort of thing that we want to do. It's not the sort of thing we feel we want to do. It's certainly not the thing that we think we have the capacity to do. But if we can just get outside of our own head for long enough and if we can just look for some opportunities to maybe bless someone else or to do something for the good of something simply beyond ourselves, then maybe we actually might find that we start to experience a bit of a transformation ourselves. And this in no way diminishes what we're going through and everything that's associated with that. It's not saying, oh, stop thinking about yourself, you, you idiot, get on and look after other people. It's like, no, you're going through stuff. But part of the way of finding life and, and, and finding a, a blessing in that is to step outside of yourself for a little while and to seek the prosperity of something beyond yourself because in the process of doing that, you find yourself starting to prosper as well. Amen? So let me just finish by saying it's totally normal. It's totally normal that when we find ourselves in exile in some way, we want someone to come along and tell us that it's all going to be over really, really soon. But sometimes that doesn't happen because it's not true. Sometimes we're going to be there and we're going to be there a while. And we don't want someone coming along giving us false hope. Sometimes we need to be told that although it's not going to be over soon, it's not permanent. Although it's not the life we want, there is a life to be had. And although God may not have brought us to this place, God is still in this place. It's not our destination, but it is a process and it is a step for now. So why don't you just make something of it? So I don't know if people are here this morning and that's what you're going through, if that's your story, whatever. I hope it's been helpful um, to you if that's where you find yourself. If it's not, I hope you store it away for future reference when maybe it is something you're going through. But right now we're going to go into a time of communion and we're going to invite everyone again. The tables are at the back and at the sides. I invite everyone to this table. Again, it's a celebration of the fact that Jesus has delivered us. He has saved us. He is with us. He is for us. And there is nothing that ever will take us beyond the reach of God, no matter what happens. So if I invite you now to go and take communion, um, take the cup, take the bread, take it at the table, take it in your seats. It doesn't matter. Take it with people. That's fine. And I'll get the team back up. Thank you.